Welcome to Grace to All. I'm your host, Paul Gray. You've probably used the word grace, sang Amazing Grace, or said grace at a meal. But did you know that God's grace is way better than we can even imagine, and that you and all people already have an abundant supply of God's unlimited amazing grace? Today, we're going to hear the truth about God's amazing grace to all people. So, sit back, relax, and prepare to be inspired and awakened to the amazing treasures that you already possess. This is truth that you can handle. Hello again, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Grace to All with Paul Gray. And I'm so honored and delighted to have my friend Don Keithley with us today. We've interviewed Don before on this. And what a privilege it is for me because he's been an inspiration and a role model for me for several years now. And just to get to know him, you know, sometimes you look up to people and you think, man, they're really special. And then you get to know him and it doesn't quite turn out that way, but it's just the opposite with Don. He's, he is the real deal. He's such a, a nice guy and a, a good guy. He's welcomed me into the grace community of people. And so Don Keithley, welcome. Thanks for being with us again. Thank you, Paul. It's good to be here. And but before we get started, let me just congratulate you. I saw on Facebook that you just did your 150th interview. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. I think it was with, um, Gosh, who was that with? Michael uh, McElia. Okay, 150. I still hold the, the 100th interview. If you remember, I was the 100th. I do. And I was shocked that you had put off another 50 already, brother. You, <laughs> I think you're the numero uno of interviewers in the social media market. So congratulations. Anyway, that's some real stick to it No, thank you. I really enjoy it. I've got to meet and interview and talk with so many wonderful people around the world who are just captivated by God's unconditional love, the finished work of Christ, inclusion. And as we've talked before, I, I initially thought I was the only one in the world who was seeing this. And then I found out about Steve McVeigh and then about you. And then I found out, whoa, this is a tsunami that's gone everywhere. <laughs> it is. I, you know, I think we all felt that because when I first hit the, hit the uh, vein of grace, I mean, there was nobody in my city. I mean, I'm, I'm in Houston. We're, we're millions and millions of people. I could not find anybody to relate to. And I think you probably felt the same. It just made us feel uh, alienated. Yeah. But then thank God for social media because we really begin to connect. And now the connections, like you say, are all over the world. And people like you that are doing the interviews, I think you're really uh, on the forefront of connecting. I mean, you're connecting a lot of us together. Well, thanks. And that's why I do it. I want people all over to hear from you and from uh, the different people I've had the privilege of getting to know. And, and what we want to do today is I'd like you specifically to talk about your new book, Hell's Illusion. Well, I got my copy a few days ago. I, I had the privilege of reading the rough draft of it that uh, your friend Tash sent me uh, several weeks ago. And uh, uh, so mine came in and I uh, I wrote a review on Amazon this morning, which I would encourage everybody else to do. Sure. Yes. I want to ask you, my friend, what prompted you to, uh, I know you taught about this first because I listened to every one of those messages, and then you turn it into a book. Why in the world do you want to talk about the myth of hell? You know, so many reasons come to my mind, but I think that it is probably 
Well, it's probably the biggest sacred cow that we've held in the church that has not been factual. And it doesn't take a whole lot of digging to begin to unwind this and find out historically how it entered the church and how it even began. Some of the reasons I was a pastor for years and taught on hell. I mean, I, it's a, it has been a major tool of evangelism. Let's face it. We used hell for a, a long time to hold a gun to somebody's head to let them know that they don't pray the magic prayer where they're headed. And so when I began to discover truth, which really came out of an offshoot of the discovery of how much God loves us. That was really the eye-opener for me, Paul, is the love of God. So as the love of God has settled into me, I just have a, a compulsion for truth. And I feel really bad about people that, have, that need healing and freedom trapped in this belief of eternal conscious torment. It is so contrary to the nature of, of the Father. It's so contrary to the example that Jesus set as a perfect reflection of the Father that I felt somebody had to say something. And so I just felt that, you know what, it's me. I, need, I, I did the six-part series on Hell's Illusion, but there was so much more I wanted to say and that we could put in a book. And so that really inspired me to, to do the book was to take it further than what I did on the teaching series. And I was shocked with the teaching series. I, I expected uh, so much pushback and, and adversarial comments, but it, it was well received. And I have felt the same with the book. I felt when I wrote the book that I, I'd be putting a big target on my back. But I have been pleasantly surprised at, at how people have received it. And I think it's because God is speaking this. You know, Papa's speaking this to a lot of people, but nobody's talking about it. There's undercurrents about it, but nobody's really said, okay, look, let's do a definitive work on this so we can rally around. So that's why I wrote the book. I want to pick up on one thing in particular that you said. Obviously, uh, I'm not going to label you an academic because I don't see you that way, but but you have a PhD. You're the founding head of a seminary, which I am privileged to have, have graduated from. And you've done the research for this book about all the the reasons, um, the original words of hell and all that kind of stuff. But what I heard you say when you were just talking was that one of the compelling reasons why you wrote it is because you'd seen people in the church who were in bondage to this. And uh, it just made me think of your pastor's heart, because that's what you did for close to five decades. And that's why I feel so compelled to talk about these things, too, and to help people. It's not to prove how how much great academic we've done in discovering this. It's because of the damage, the hurt, the harm that this does to people, simply because they have an incorrect understanding of what God is like. That's, that's true. And if you were to go to the mall and interview 10 people, they can tell you a lot more about hell, their concept of hell, than they could about the love of God. And that's because of their church training. It's our, the way our culture has been programmed. You know, the first three, four hundred years in the church, nobody taught this. Paul didn't teach it. Jesus certainly didn't teach it. And we get into that in the book. But people today in the Western world have a real concept of what hell is. In, in talking to a lot of people that are not church people, they just feel like their lives are so 
messed up and they've done too much that God couldn't forgive them. And that's their eternal destiny. And they more or less resigned to it. So, you know, they just let's drink and be merry and party on today because the future is already set and there's nothing I can do about it because I've been so bad and God couldn't love me enough to forgive me for all that I've done. So it, it really stems from a misconception of the father. You know, people don't know God's love, do they? No, they don't. And it's fascinating to me. I'm sure I've heard you say this, too, because most of what I say, I've heard you say. But uh, people who haven't had a religious background many times seem closer to the right understanding of God than those who have been in religion. I'll never forget it. It was about 15 years ago before I started on this journey. I was at a Starbucks downtown here in Lawrence, and I ran into a woman who I'd known years before from my music career. And she's really just very intelligent and a neat person, but I hadn't seen her for a while. And she asked me, she said, I understand you're you're a preacher now. And, and I said, yeah. And and she said, uh, well, do you believe in hell and, and God uh, tormenting people there forever? And I said, well, of course. And she said, my God would never do that. And I thought at the time, I thought, well, you're going to get a rude awakening because your God is not like you think at all. And then <laughs> Papa has shown me since then, he's brought that to my mind several times. No, Paul, you were the one <laughs> that got that got a, a rude awakening, didn't you? And uh, <laughs> it's so amazing. So many things that we thought were one way or, or just the opposite of, of what we thought. And we had the privilege of, of getting that revelation from God and then uh, sharing it with other people, don't we? I had a pastor contact me the other day. He said, you know, he said, if we give up this doctrine of hell, he said, nobody's going to serve God. <laughs> and, you know, it's actually the opposite. The more we dissolve these myths, the more it seems like it fans the love of God. In fact, the scripture says it's the goodness of God that leads to repentance, right? Yeah, so it's a gift. The gooder, the gooder we make him, the more people change their minds. That's That, to me, is so liberating. Oh, it is. We can never make him too good. So as we make him yeah. better and, you know, by, by, by dissolving some of these uh, myths, these false doctrines that we've held so tightly because that's what we were taught. And the people that taught us, that's what they were taught. I mean, I look back to seminary days and that, that's what I was taught. And I was 22, 23 years old. Who was I to challenge a gray haired Ph.D. teaching me systematic theology? I didn't even know the questions to ask. So, of course, I swallowed it, and then I went and parroted what I had learned. And so that's how that tradition has carried on for the last 1,500 years. But I've often wondered what it would look like 1,500 years from now if all we taught was the goodness of God, the love of God, the mercy of God, reconciliation, inclusion. If we taught all those things for 1,500 years, what our culture would look like, I think it would be totally different than it is today. Yeah, I get uh i used to call them goosebumps i call them jesus bumps now i, I get jesus bumps just thinking about that uh, yes what what a culture that would be you mentioned don that understanding the goodness of god was a huge part and grace was a, a huge part of the process of helping you come to this understanding that that hell's an illusion do you remember the first time or the exact situation when it hit you that oh Maybe hell's not what I thought it was. Absolutely. I do for sure. I was sitting in my office at church. This was before I had ever thought about 
hell not being reality, but I was into grace. And grace took me to the love of the father, took me to love of Papa. And so I was sitting in my office just contemplating his love. And I felt like the spirit of God said to me, what would your two daughters have to do to you that cause you to eternally torture them fire? you love your creation? Why you brought in, if they, would you torture them? And I said, no, of course not. I said, there's nothing I can think of that they could possibly, no matter how much they rejected me, spurned me, cussed out, no matter what, disowned me, no matter, no matter what they did, I don't think I could ever see them, place them at my will in, in that kind of situation. So I felt like Spirit of God said, well, if you love your children that much, don't you think the father loves his at least that much, but maybe even more than you love yours? And that kind of put my mind on tilt. And that kind of started me to open up that maybe this thing is not what we thought it was. And so I just began to, to scour around, but I wouldn't, you know, I wasn't going to teach that. I wasn't going to say it. I had not taught on hell for a long time just because I felt it was obnoxious. I didn't think it really drew people to Christ, but I still held, held the idea that that's what happens to people. But then when, when you begin to think about us as earthly parents, how much we love our children and how much there's nothing they could do to separate us from them if we had any say in the matter, then I think you have to begin to look at the Father in, in those terms. Plus, then, then thoughts begin to flood my mind about Jesus being the perfect reflection of the Father. I think I heard about that time Bill Johnson say that if you don't see it in Jesus, don't believe it about the Father. So that began to dismantle some of the things I saw in the Old Testament, which led me to the end to believe, well, maybe some of the reports in the Old Testament were not accurate. Maybe they were writing with all the revelation that they had, but they were seen through a glass darkly. Then I began to understand that Jesus came to clear up those misconceptions about the Father and all the bad press he's had over the years. But that initial thought, you asked me what spurred, it was that thought that came to me. What would my, what would my children have to do that I would, I would see them twist and burn in literal fire and torture eternally without any hope of ever coming out of it? I couldn't come up with anything. I couldn't come up with anything. Yeah, me either. And I, you know, I think my friend Paul Young captured that well in the shack when uh, the main character, Mac, was in this cave with uh, – Sophia with wisdom and uh, she said okay you got to pick one of your kids that and he couldn't do it he said no I'll go in his I'll go in his place yeah the Lord just kept taking me to Matthew eleven twenty seven, where where Jesus said no one knows the the father or me you know as he just started unpacking that for him that meant well those guys in the in the Old Testament you know yeah you know they were they were used by God they God gave them revelation and prophecy and stuff but they didn't know and they didn't know what he was really like at all. And uh, Jesus came to reveal that, and he was successful. <laughs> He's the only one that could say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He's the only one that yeah. could say, no man has seen the Father except the Son. So yeah. I think he's got to be our, our source. He's got to be our reliable source. I don't see him calling down fire on cities or commanding <laughs> people to go in and annihilate men, women, and children. And I mean, there's... This whole thing, I mean, so much about God has just been created in our minds. We serve a God we've created in our minds. It's more like Molech than the father that Jesus presented. 
Yeah, and it's so well. Words can't describe it for me. You know, we we traffic in words, but uh, refreshing, illuminating, exhilarating, exceedingly abundantly more than we can imagine. I'm so learning that experience, personal experience with God, always trumps intellectual knowledge, and uh, that experience, that knowing, yes, of what God is like. Well, that can never be taken away. That can't be, uh, and ne- neither can we. Well, I'm having trouble describing words to, to, to talk about it. <laughs> look, look at the Apostle Paul, how entrenched he was in Judaism, but just one encounter with Jesus erased the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. It totally changed his theology, his position, the way that he saw other people. Just one yeah. encounter. And that's what's happened to us. We've had an encounter, and that encounter has changed us forever, and it's changed the way we see the Father, and it's changed the way we see people so you begin to delve into some of these doctrines, you know, you know, I'd like to write one on the Edemic illusion, the sinful nature illusion, because I think that's going to fit in along uh, as we go along. But hell's illusion is a big one. And hell is a sacred cow still. And a lot of people get really angry if you touch their hell. They just they really embrace it. Yeah. And that's a question that has haunted me. Why would we want hell to be true exactly let's Uh, talk about that next session because i have some ideas about that from being a pastor great all right well let's do well as as we finish this session again your great new book hell's illusion i don't know if this is coming across on the video uh with the words the right way or not by the way it has a really great endorsement inside by uh let's see Oh, yeah, that's me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, you did endorse it. I appreciate which, that, too. Which I was really honored to be asked to do that. And I got to thinking about that and uh, went back. And, and of course, uh, you wrote nice endorsements for a couple of my books, which I, I appreciate so much. But I really encourage people to get your book and uh, just devour it and tell everybody where they can get it. It's available at Amazon. If you just go to Amazon in the search bar and type my name or type Hell's Illusion, the book will come up. It's available in paperback or Kindle. A lot of people like Kindle. I'm, I'm old school. I like the hard cover where I can make underlines and notes, and which I, they tell me you can do that in Kindle, but I like the paperbacks. But it's available in paperback and Kindle yeah. at Amazon. So if you just go over there and... Uh, Hit the search bar and put the name in. It'll come up and you can get it. I, I think it's one or two day delivery, especially yeah. if you're prime. I think it's one or two days. So it's yeah. pretty quick. Well, I certainly uh, encourage people to do that. And it's obvious that you're really trying to get rich from this, from the great high price you've got on it of $8 and 95 cents. I, I can't even, uh, I can't even buy my own books for that, for that price. I had, I was with Malcolm Smith this last weekend and he, he said, how long is your book? And I said, it's 225 pages. He said, what are you charging? And I told him, he said, no, he said, books over 200 pages are supposed to be like $16 or $15. Malcolm's written a ton of books. And I said, well, you know, my, my whole deal is I want to get this in the hands of people. So that's what we're after. And I'm so glad that you've written it and made it at a price where people can get it. And I, I really encourage people to get it. And not only that, but to tune in to you on, at the Digital Cathedral on Sunday mornings and then Wednesday night with Wednesday Night Live, which I do both of those every week. And as I mentioned earlier, I, I find when I'm writing and teaching and preaching and stuff, I'm never sure exactly where I got the things that I teach, but I can just be 
pretty sure that I <laughs> that you said something like that at one time or another. <laughs> well, I tell people I only steal the best. So <laughs> if I've quoted you or someone, in, it's a compliment because I only steal the best. <laughs> well, Don, thank you so much for a uh, couple of thieves here talking. Uh, <laughs> thank you so much for being with us. Thanks, everybody, for watching another edition of Grace Stall with Paul Gray. And Don will be back. You'll uh, hear our next interview next week. Thanks again, Don. Hey, my honor to be here. Thank you, Paul. Thank you. And thanks, everybody, for being with us today on Grace to All with Paul Gray. Thank you for listening to Grace to All. For more about us, how we can serve you, and our special guest, please visit www.gracewithpaulgray.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode and to join our Facebook group, Grace to All, where you'll be inspired and awakened to more truth that you can handle.